Welcome back to My Seminary Life. I'm your host, Brandon Knight, and this is the start of our series for the end of the year. This is our last series of 2023. It's called Dialogues, and it's going to work like any other podcast in existence, because essentially what's going to happen here on the Dialogue series is I am going to sit down with a different guest in each episode to dialogue about a different theological topic. We got a couple questions pulled up to navigate our conversation, but really the point here today is to sit down and dialogue about theology, scripture, God, whatever comes up. Today's topic is the Old Testament, specifically uh, our our relationship as believers to the Old Testament, because there are some pretty interesting and pretty important questions that we need to ask when it comes to this collection of writings. And to have this dialogue with me today, I have invited back He's one of the priests to the geeks from Systematic Geekology, but maybe a little bit more relevant for this conversation, this dialogue. He's the host of the Let Nothing Move You podcast, Christian Ashley. Christian, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Brandon. And I actually just started in Genesis 1 last week, so I'm looking forward to doing some Old Testament talk right now. Oh, perfect. I knew. So for those of you who uh, are unfamiliar with let nothing move you because I don't know if I've ever given you a chance to actually explain the show here on MSL. It's another show here on the Anazal Ministries Podcast Network. Subscribe and you can just listen to it. Uh, but take a moment and go ahead and tell us what is your other show, your main show, Let Nothing Move You about? Yeah, sure. Uh, basically, like one of the things I really miss from Not a Dumb in Seminary. Uh, is I used to have a small group back home where I would go, you know, chapter by chapter, verse by verse with my friends there, like teaching them. And like, I just don't have that here. I get, uh, I just can't walk up to a church and say, Hey, by the way, I'm pretty smart. I need to leave a Bible study right now as I'm, you know, like starting to join the church and stuff like that. Like even for me, a very egotistical person, that's a step too far. So I decided why not just have a captive audience? And I started with, of course, since I'm in charge, my favorite gospel, Luke. And then I went through Romans because of all the theological questions you get there in that book. And now I'm starting in Genesis and we're going through the whole Pentateuch. All right. So that's the first five, right? Pentateuch, that's the first five. Genesis, Exodus, mm-hmm. Leviticus, number. So yeah, you're like in full, you're in full uh, Old Testament mode now. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. This is going to be good then. Um so my before we get to like our very specific questions, I sent you a few ahead of time. Um, just to kind of get this started, I am curious. G- similar to me, it sounds like you grew up in church, was like church kid for most of your life. I think you mis- mentioned before um, your dad did some mission work and other things. In your kind of being raised in the church, what relationship did your church and others have with the Old Testament? Because I know for me, I'll I'll give you a moment to think about it. I know for me, like we would get sermons from the Old Testament every once in a while, but by and large, we were mostly in the New Testament, whether it was Sunday school, Sunday morning service, whatever. Uh, and I've, I've shared before here on the show that I had friends who went to a different youth group that the, the Old Testament was basically belittled. It was treated almost as second class. Like it's 
nowhere near as important for us. It's the law. We're not under the law. We're under grace. So I've always been curious if every uh, if everyone else has had a, a similar experience or not. So what was what was your experience with the Old Testament? Yeah, with my first church that I was with, Denver Baptist, I do remember as a kid because I left there about when I was nine or ten. We we had you know, your typical your, your David and Goliath in Sunday school and. Uh, you know, Moses and the Exodus and the 10 plagues, but more often than not, it would be in the New Testament. I don't think anyone ever had that active thinking of New Testament better, but it did seem like when I reflect on it, New Testament was, you know, poured out more than real life as well. The next church I went to, it was Lucia at the time, uh, more of an emphasis than the kids stuff on Exodus, excuse me, on uh, the New Testament, but there was still plenty of time for Old Testament stuff. And my pastor there, he would be wherever the topic of discussion was, like he would pull from the new, he'd pull from the old. So they're kind of more fair and balanced, I guess, would be the way I'd put it there. Okay. Okay. Well, that's that's encouraging to hear that at least with the uh, with the children's ministry, there was some emphasis on teaching from the Old Testament. And I like the, I, I like it now as an adult, what you're describing with your pastor of trying to pull from both. Maybe in the sermon, you have like a central passage, but you're looking to the Old Testament and to the New Testament for scriptural support. I like that. I try to work that into my preaching. Um, I do know that part of this has to be Part of this is cultural. Part of this is like denominational as well. Uh, there are some more liturgical style churches where they sing the Psalms that that it is worked into their church service. Um, I know in the more fundamentalist side of the Christian faith, you're in the minor prophets a lot because there's a lot of passages in there about God's wrath and judgment. Uh, mm-hmm. Similarly, I've heard before that with African American style churches also spend a lot of time in the minor prophets because there's also a lot in there about caring for the poor and the oppressed and passages on justice. So it could be that it's just the brand of Christianity I've come from, but so you've seen it a little bit though. It sounds like, okay. Can you think of any other examples? Like I just gave of like where people have tried to work the, Old Testament into their liturgy a little bit more? Um, well, I do know when uh, Joshua and I were in college, that's Joshua and all for people out there who don't know, uh, we both attended the same church. And with a pastor there, it's kind of, I have my issues with the man past that, but that's a different story. He would typically do what I do chapter by chapter, verse by verse. So there'd be a time we'd be in the whole book of Revelation, or there'd be a time we're in the whole book of Judges. And he would go and like, this is pointing to this, this is pointing there. This is why we know, you know, this is solidified in the new Testament because it's brought up in the old Testament, the prophecies about Jesus and stuff like that. So Mm -hmm. that's another way I was in there. And I can't think too much more outside of, uh, I did have another pastor who spun off of the church I talked about earlier, the second one. And he primarily stuck to the New Testament, but he would always, if there was anything that tied into the Old Testament, he'd bring it up. Okay. But I think he was more concerned with the Gospels. Okay. Well, I guess with that, then you are going to have to talk about the uh, the Old Testament a little bit because you get into you know, the prophecies of the Messiah in the Old mm-hmm. Testament a lot. So 
That's good. Okay. Well, let's go ahead. Let's address this first question I sent to you. And real simple. Let's let's just see where this goes. Christian, do we still need the Old Testament? As Christians, do we need the Old Testament? Absolutely, we do. And okay. we would be completely lost and rudderless without it. Not to say that the New Testament, there's not enough there for us to understand about God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit and why he had to die and all that. But it's like if I decided, you know, to get into the Harry Potter series and I started with Order of the Phoenix, you know, it's th- mm-hmm. there's a lot of context I'm missing from the first, you know, four books before I get to book five. And I'm starting to wonder who are all these people? How are they connected? It's like, it's not that I can't figure it out from context clues, but I made it harder for myself without looking at what came before all of this. And it's like, oh, okay. Oh, that's what that means. That's what Israel is to God. That's, that's who Jesus is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about that this afternoon, right along those same lines of when you look at scripture as like one whole piece of literature, 66 books and letters and oracles and poetry, a whole bunch of different things. But if you look at the scripture as one book, to dismiss the entire Old Testament and to only focus in on the new, there's going to be portions of this that you're you're not going to know what, what the person is talking about. You know, you just got done with the book of Romans. It's Romans chapter 4 where Paul is talking about Abraham was justified by faith. Mm-hmm. Then is it chapter seven where he talks about Pharaoh hardening his heart? I know it's like somewhere in there, uh, seven, eight, nine, I think it's somewhere about. in there. Yeah. 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 Paul relies on a lot of old Testament quoting to get his points across. So if you don't know mm-hmm. what he's talking about there, you're going to once again, be losing a lot of the context that he himself puts such emphasis on alongside other gospel writers, even Jesus himself Mm-hmm. Quotes the Old Testament multiple times over, like establishing it as having some authority there. Right. And, you know, and again, you you look at these stories like Jesus brings up Noah, Jesus brings mm-hmm. up Jonah. Like there's these instances where the New Testament writers and people living are talking about the Old Testament, because I think I think maybe what this question kind of overlooks is the fact that getting into a question we might get to later although salvation is for the gentiles it's for the jews first so yes the new testament's for the church but it was being presented to the jews who were waiting for the messiah mm-hmm. yeah that too it brings up that well, why are they looking for something well because it already had been promised to them forever ago. So there are expectations in, oh, the Messiah is going to come. Well, if the New Testament just comes up and you have nothing of the Old Testament, you can just say, well, you guys just made that up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. If there's no backdrop to what's been going on. It's kind of like the Book of Mormon, Uh, not to offend (laughs) any Mormons, but to offend a lot of Mormons. It's that sense of there is no like foreshadowing of anything in the book of Mormon. It's been a while since I've read it. So uh, keep that in mind, but of that sense of, Oh God promised if things didn't work out with Jesus's church, then he would come up with a new guy and Joseph Smith and all that would happen. Like, well, you can say that, but you know, if you're actually studying, you go, Oh, this wasn't foreshadowed. No one in the gospels or the prophets talked about this happening. And that's one thing we can level against the heresy like that. 
And it's also similar because I can't not talk about Colts. That also happened with uh, <laughs> that happened with Reverend Moon with the Moonies. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is that one? The Universal Life Church? Is that what that's? I don't. Oh, I can't think of what that one's called. I the, always remember the derogatory term and not the actual name they gave it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but th- how that faith got started is allegedly Jesus appeared to the Reverend Moon, said that he failed, and that he is the new Messiah. Like, there you go. You're now. And again, just like with you're saying here with the Book of Mormon, there's no precedent foreshadowing prophecy, anything in the New Testament pointing forward to Messiah part two, second Messiah. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously, when you have a religion that's based solely on the fact that Jesus failed, you know, that's just a heresy. (laughs) Pretty much. Yeah. The very definition. Yeah. Going back to this question, though, I think another reason why we still need the Old Testament is because there's outside of just having the backdrop or having the the context of what's been going on to understand the New Testament. There's also just like you look at like Psalm 23, you look at Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, you look at the first three chapters of Genesis, like the the book of Job, like you look at these either entire books or sections or specific chapters that are iconic, for lack of a better word, like Psalm 23, it's basically read at every single funeral mm. ever, you know, like this is that that Psalm in particular has served as a as a piece of literature that has comforted people for generations and when you dismiss the whole old testament you're getting rid of these things that maybe they don't necessarily point forward to jesus or provide context but still have been a sure part of our faith as well yeah uh, even just starting with genesis the question where did we come from why are we here Mm -hmm. and as best as can be interpreted in that book genesis tells us how and you're going to have 10 different people tell you 10 different ways of how we actually came here. But like as a foundation, we get enough is that God decided out of nothing, I'm going to make something and then not only do that, but to make something with consciousness that I'm going to love and care for and give thoughts and feelings to. And that's how we end up on the scene. I mean, sure. There's there's a little bit in the new Testament too, to where we can kind of go, okay, I get a sense of this. There was some guy named Adam and he sinned and Mm -hmm. he's compared to Christ but we don't get the fullness that we do get in Genesis of oh, where did we come from? Why are we here? What was, what is my purpose? For sure. Yeah. We do lose just like some foundational, like philosophical questions that people wrestle with, or you look at, you know, some people skip the book. It's my favorite book in the Bible. Ecclesiastes, just like another way to wrestle with that exact, that question as well as similar question of like, what is, what is my, purpose of being here like where did i come from and why am i here it's like two of the biggest questions that somebody can ask and that's really what ecclesiastes is working with without that like i think we have we have an answer in the new testament but it might not be as like i feel like ecclesiastes is very explicit with its wrestling and with trying to answer the question. Whereas with the new Testament, it's a little bit like, well, it's Jesus. Jesus is the reason why you're here and your purpose for life now. Yeah. 
opening up to with like meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. Like uh, who has not had that thought once before in their life? Mm-hmm. That ties into most everyone at some point. And then you get you know, Solomon's ultimate. If you think Solomon is the writer, and I know people all over the place say it could be someone else that, Oh, it, that meaning there is meaning in life in its service and love to God. Now I can't remember exactly how he words it at the end there, but it's, that's kind of his thesis at the end. It's like, okay, we got this. It seems meaningless because mm-hmm. we're focusing on these wrong things. And everyone has had that point in their life. Like, mm-hmm. well, does this matter? What I'm doing? Is God really there? Does he really care for me? What's the purpose of doing good? Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. I prefer to call him the preacher because that's how he identifies himself in the text. Fair and enough. My favorite part. Yeah, my favorite thing about the, one of my favorite things about this book is that the preacher sounds like he's going through a midlife crisis. I'm doing this. I've I've got all these women. I've got all these building projects. I've got all this money. That I, I still got nothing. And yeah. again, how relatable of, is that? Of I'm throwing myself in all of these different directions, and I'm still feeling empty. And here it is in the Old Testament, thousands of years ago, written down for us helping us wrestle with that question. You can also look at the book of Job for that as well. Of mm. just like, mm-hmm. why do bad things happen? You know, why do bad things happen to good people? Oh yeah. And like that question is, well, who is good? Who mm. gets to make that call? And we, we look at God at the very end. He's like, okay, you've brought your accusations, but it's time the man up here and get in a fight. Can you defend yourself from these these questions I'm going to ask you? Can you even comprehend what I'm going to ask you? And then you ask me another question like this. You're not ready. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that showdown part. That's pretty good. Any other thoughts? Do you think we've answered the question? We we need the, the Old Testament. We still need it, I think, at least. You seem no, to I agree. completely agree. Okay. We're you want to tackle another one? Sure thing. All right. Well, it's a pretty similar question. We've established that the Old Testament has some value for us. But I want to make sure I read this question correctly. Um, What value is there in the Old Testament books like Leviticus? What value is there in Old Testament books like Leviticus? Immense value. And I okay. said as someone, Leviticus has never been my favorite book to read. You know, it's the, <laughs> it's the punching bag of the Old Testament. Everyone knows, oh my gosh, I had to read the Leviticus to read through the entire Bible. And that was a slog. And yeah, it can be. Mm-hmm. But if you step over to things there, I think, I can't remember the actual number of times it's used, but the word holy and holiness mm-hmm. are used far more times in Leviticus than I think anywhere else. Like maybe even over a hundred, I may be making that number up wholesale, okay. but it it's that sense of how does God perceive his holiness? Why is it important to him? And then you get to somewhere like Acts five where Ananias and Sapphira mm-hmm. are like lying in the church and God strikes them dead the same way he strikes down the sons of Aaron for improperly giving sacrifices. Mm. That's how important holiness is to God. You cannot ever allow this to slip in and be unholy in God's presence because he himself is so holy without something cover that you're done for. Yeah. Uh, looking specifically at the book of Leviticus, I think you've nailed it on the head of if there is any value in all of its laws, it's this, you know, concept of holiness. Holy is the only 
virtue of God that is repeated three times in a row. Uh, this shows up in Isaiah. Uh, he is declared holy, holy, holy. And this is a literary device that was used back then to indicate that this is the primary thing about a person. So for as much as we like to talk about God is love, God is mercy, God is grace, ultimately he is viewed in the scriptures as holy. And that is his primary characteristic is he is holy. He is set apart. He is however you want to understand that term. And yeah, it's a slog. Like, I think we can admit that, but there, the value is seeing the holiness. The value is seeing on the, uh, on the flip side, our unholiness in this of the purpose of the law is to show that we can't keep it, that Israel can't keep it, you know? Yes. Are there any other, well, you know, before I, I ask that, um, I do have a problem with this question, and it is that word value. Yes. Do you have that? Do you feel that as tension as well? Very okay, much. Wh- so. Why is why is that? Uh, it's as if when like one of these books is more important than the other, and mm. they're all pretty dang important to me. Like, sure, there okay. I have my favorites. Like James is my favorite book in the whole Bible. I love the way he speaks. Oh. Like okay. right at you, like in a way that you kind of understand, oh, okay, I get that premise you bring up. But that doesn't make James better than um, Jonah. That doesn't make Jonah better than Song of Songs or Song of Solomon or whatever you want to call it. Like each of them has their own inherent value, but not to the point of being better than another. Like there was a purpose mm-hmm. in mind that God had when allowing the writer to be inspired to make those books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, I think it's perfectly fine to have a a favorite. You know, yeah. you're very different from Martin Luther. He did not like the Book of James. Uh, I know that's one thing we have against each other. <laughs> uh, I think it is one thing to have a have a favorite or a life verse or anything like that. My problem with the word value here, and by the way, listeners uh, or those of you watching the video version of this. Uh, these are not listener support uh, questions. These aren't things that people have been uh, sending in. These are questions that came from a book. So I'm not like dunking on somebody's question right now. But the <laughs> the the reason I have a problem with that word value is because I I find that to be very what's the word American capitalistic. Mm. Um, you know we. We've traded knowledge for being practical within American Christianity. So when we come to the scripture, if we can't read it and immediately go, well, this is what I'm supposed to do with this, then there's less value to it. And like you said, it's all pretty valuable. It's all the word of God. You know, it's somewhere in the New Testament. I'm blinking right now that, you know, what was written before was written for our our learning and is profitable to us. And this was specifically talking about Old Testament. It was talking about the law. That's what they would have. They would have been probably passing around some of these letters by this point, but they're primarily talking about the law. And I just find that word value to be very very modern. It's a very modern way to think about how we engage scripture. 
Yeah, I completely agree with that statement. Uh, was it Second Timothy? That sounds right. Yeah, I, I think it's yeah Second Timothy three sixteen through seventeen. Mm. Yeah. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Because we really like three sixteen. There's several. <laughs> John three sixteen is obviously the most iconic, but I think there's several three sixteens that are uh, we have marked away as uh, important ver- verses. One last follow-up to this question uh, before we move on. I was curious. So, like you said, Leviticus is kind of like the proverbial punching bag of the Old Testament. Like, why do I have to read this? Can Are there any other books in the Old Testament that you would point to of like, the, these books also get short-changed changed quite a bit? I'd argue Judges. Because I know a lot of people, when they read it for the first time, they go, man, there's a lot of bad happening here, and I don't want to feel bad, so I'm not going to read about it. (laughs) Okay. Uh, I understand to an extent, and definitely, like, not all of them, but, like, if you could lump the minor prophets together, which is a misnomer anyway to call them that, but it just helps Mm -hmm. with sorting. Like, very few times have I seen a sermon on them, unless it's, like, Hosea and, you know, the God redeeming his people, just the way Hosea marries the prostitute. You hear that, you know, preached every now and then, but, like... You don't get a lot in there, oh, except for maybe Jonah. Jonah would be the one everyone knows. Jonah is the exception, but yeah, yeah. I've never heard a I've never heard a sermon out of Habakkuk. Yeah, and you know, Song of Songs, Song of Solomon too. Like I, I have heard of maybe once or twice in my entire life a sermon based on that. And people like I've even had friends who refused to read it until after they got married because they just like that's wow. how they had to experience the book and like. I mean, sure, you have your convictions there. I'm not going to say they're wrong. I just, I don't hear anyone talking about it. And I actually hear a lot of Christians dreading it. It's like, is that the one where they talk about sex? And can we do that in church? It's like, yes, you can, because, you know, God made it for a reason. But if you, it's that, especially in a Southern Baptist situation, Hmm. you, you get that big old, a little too legalistic for their own good sometimes of, you know, sex before marriage, bad. Therefore, anything involving with that, don't even think about it. And you'll be free from sexual temptation that no, doesn't get said, but is heavenly implied a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. Those were some of the books I was also thinking of. I, I didn't I wasn't thinking of judges, but you are right. If anything, we like Ruth more than judges. We're more com- okay, we're more so. comfortable with with Ruth. Uh, Song of Solomon, Song of Songs the minor prophets outside of like Jonah and the beginning of Hosea. I would also say um, like the first half of Daniel, we love. Mm. That's oh, some yeah, other no, like good. That's some other really good like Sunday school children's Sunday school material. Daniel being thrown to the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But then like that second half with all that the prophecies and Nebuchadnezzar goes insane and you know, might all, as well not yeah. exist. Yeah, it might as well not exist. I mean, there's even apocryphal writings that didn't make the cut. That would also be a part <laughs> of the book of Daniel. So and it's such a shame, too. Like, couldn't have the dragon just gotten in? Oh, Bell and the Dragon's a good story. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I like that one. Uh, we got a few minutes left. So let's see if we can do one more question justice. What do you say? Go for it. All right. Can we claim Old Testament promises as Christians for ourselves? Yes, but not all of them. Because some of them were written with specific people in mind for that specific time in history. 
And okay. I'm going to go to everyone's favorite, Jeremiah 29, 11. <laughs> Wonderful verse written specifically to the exiles of Judah at that time. Mm-hmm. Like, God, I have a plan for you plans to prosper you and all this. It's like, that's wonderful. And like, that's not that that's incorrect to say that God has plans to prosper us. But if I go to that verse and that's where my justification for that is, I'm missing the point because I just chose out of context, something I really liked. Okay. Uh, what is an, So that's an example of like a, one that's set in a time period. What would then be an example you would give of like, okay, this is a promise that we can claim. Uh, God, uh, meaning the gospel to appear to Jew and Gentile alike. It's said multiple times over through various prophets that didn't suddenly just in and only now Gentiles get to have Jesus. It's like, no, it's meant for God's people first, then the Gentile. And that's set up many times and foreshadowed plenty of times in scripture. So that's a promise mm-hmm. I can look back and say, God was thinking of me when he made that promise. Okay. Uh, I would also point to, as an example, I, I agree with you. I guess I didn't say that, that there are <laughs> some, uh, some are yes and some are no. Um, and it's all very nuanced and we have to, we don't have time to go one by one yeah, through yeah. all of them. One, I think that we can claim for sure though, is the Noahic covenant this idea that God's not going to destroy everything by a, you know, destroy everything by a flood and reshape everything once more, order out of chaos again uh, through a flood. I believe that is a, a promise that we can hold on to. And I was teaching that uh, with a youth group Sunday school class once uh, after the pandemic. And I said, it, we really should have been looking at this story more during the pandemic as our source of comfort of like, God is going to see us through this. He's got Noah through his, and he's made this promise to him. We have this covenant that we can look to of like, God has a plan and a purpose. We need to look at revelation more for like how things are going to end and other places as well. I'm trying to think of another example of a promise that we necessarily can't claim there is one but due to certain current events in the world i feel like it might be in the too soon category to talk about it um uh there is a section in this book that are questions about uh the relationship between the church and israel and i think it's an important conversation don't get me wrong and in future dialogues we'll probably get to it but right now i just don't think it's necessarily the right place. That's fair. Or right time. Um, any other any other promises one way or another that you would point to? See off the top of my head. Um that I can point to once again, it'd be stuff like prophecies and promises specifically related, related to certain people. It would be God will deliver the Jews from exile. Mm. Um he will return them to Israel. Uh, even after this. So that's one specifically to them. I I can't think of anything else off the top of my head. Okay. I'm sure that if we uh, tooled around certain fundamentalist churches, uh, uh, sermon archive, we could find plenty of examples of, no, that was for a specific time in a specific place. So Christian, uh, Let's send this home now. What would be your closing remarks on the Old Testament? If someone's listening to this and they're a little like, 
I don't know how I feel about the Old Testament. What what would you say to them? If you've never read it because you think there's too much in there, it's just a daunting task. Well, you're right. It is a daunting task. There is a lot in there, and it's not too much, though. Just take it in slide. You know, just read a bit at a time. Have someone you trust around you you can ask questions to and say, hey, I don't understand what's going on here. Be willing to say, I don't know. Mm-hmm. When there's something around there you have questions about or you're wondering about, and if they don't have answers, find someone who does. Uh, hopefully someone you can trust. And just just read it. Like, it's it's not there's not a pop quiz at the end of every book sure. of the Bible where, you know, if you don't get this, suddenly your Christian card is taken away from you. Like that's not how this happens. <laughs> just 39 books, take them at your own pace. You don't have to look at any reader that says, fill these in, you know, read chapter one through five and you'll be done by the end of the year, whatever. Mm-hmm. Just take it at your own time. Yeah. I, I will, I'll echo part of what you said there of you need to be humble because we all don't. Look, prophetic (laughs) literature, prophetic literature, whether it's already happened or not, is just difficult. It's difficult. And even like narratives, like Exodus, for the most part, is pretty straightforward. We are dealing with a literature that was written thousands of years ago to a completely different context. We could very easily read something that actually, no, that's not what that means because culture. Um, But yeah. Tackling the Old Testament does require tackling the New Testament as well, but tackling the Old Testament definitely requires humility to be able to say, hey, I don't get this. Can somebody help me? I would recommend to the women and to the men, Jen Wilkins, uh, Women of the Word Bible Study Series. She's written one on Genesis and Exodus. I think that's all the Old Testament ones she's written so far. I believe she's working on one for Revelation now. Um, quite the jump. <laughs> that is quite the jump. Um, but I'm pretty sure Genesis and Exodus are the two. And the reason why I recommend it to everybody is because my wife has my the women's Bible study at my home church. My wife goes to. They've used the books before. And dang, Christian, I was pulling out commentaries. I was like... It is very in-depth. It is very inductive style. And yes, men, there's some like coloring and underline (laughs) this in this color and put a box around this word in this color. So maybe not everything will be very comfortable to you, but it's it's pretty legit. It's pretty in-depth. And I think anyone could benefit from it, especially with the Old Testament studies. With that, thank you for being here for this episode, Christian. Very different episode from the last time we had you here talking about 300. (laughs) (laughs) And how. Yeah, still good. Good episodes all around. Oh, yes. Thank you all for listening uh, to this episode. As always, you can go into the description of of this episode to find links to all of the important things. Please rate and review the show if you haven't yet already. Share it with somebody that you think maybe they need to hear something about the Old Testament to get some encouragement to go read it for themselves. If you really enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting the show on Buy Me a Coffee. You can leave a one-time donation or join one of our support tiers. Everybody at the $9 a month tier 
gets a shout out here on the show. So thank you, Lori, for supporting the show. That's it for this one. Uh, I believe next up, Christian, you talked a little bit about the importance of Genesis uh, 1, 2, 3 there with uh, creation. Well, in a future episode, it might be next week's episode, actually, uh, Joe Day from Buddy Walk with Jesus is going to be here to talk about we're going to dialogue about creation we're going to we're going to zone in on that a little bit more Uh, but until next time this is brandon signing off reminding you as always that theology is for everyone so keep on studying